0: Well, on your way in, I hope you are able to pick up a note sheet. Uh, they're on the tables there. If you didn't, feel free to get up and grab one if you'd like online. Your online host can direct you that way. If you've got a Bible handy, you want to open it up to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6. And if you get up to pick up a note sheet, you may want to grab communion elements as well. If you didn't pick those up on the way in, you feel free to do that, and we'll give you an opportunity a little bit later in that space as well. Well, I'm in the stage of life where when you go to the eye doctor, it's not the most encouraging kind of, you know. Um, So, a few months ago, I went to the eye doctor, and they had the kind of conversation that they have with a guy who's in his early 50s that he's like, hey, you know, Eric, like, you're not going to get markedly better from year to year with your eyes. We're just going to try to manage how they're decreasing. And I was like, wow, that's super encouraging. And I said, so like, what are some things we can do? And he asked me this question. He says, well, do you have the kind of job where you like sit and fixate on a screen for large periods of time? So I guess the, you know, if you're a computer monitor, you're really fixating on the smaller, right? it really affects the near, the ability to see things close up. And I said, yeah, and then, so we talked about some things that way, but at the end of the appointment, basically, it says, we just up the, you know, contact prescription (laughs) amount. That's how this works. Like, we just keep dialing up the, so it helps you see better, but at some point, there's a tipping point, and I said, well, how about, like, larger monitors? Like, I got a bigger monitor for my office. That was really cool. How about bigger fonts for my Bible? I figured out, you know, this is what large font Bible, you know? Many of you are already down the street. That's new to me, but it's really helpful. I like, get a little larger font in the Bible. I said, how about that route, you know, to stem the tide on what's before me, right? I was thinking about that when we come to today's message because there's a principle we're going to look at today through the life of Isaiah. And the principle is this, what you behold affects who you become. And the question I'd like to set before us this morning is, what is kind of captivating our eyesight these days? What are we fixating the attention of our eyes upon? I think the answer to that really affects the kind of person we're becoming. Jesus said the eyes are a lamp to the body. And so if the eyes are full of light, the whole body's full of light. If the eyes are fixated on darkness, the body… That's Jesus' way of saying what you behold with your eyes affects who you become in your heart and your character. And so, we've come to the prophet Isaiah as we're journeying our way through the Bible this year, and Isaiah's book begins this, chapter 1, verse 1, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of, notice, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So, here's a picture of of Michelangelo, how he painted Isaiah. This is a picture from the Sistine Chapel ceiling. So if you go to Rome and you go to the Sistine Chapel and you look through the characters, you'll find this portrait of Isaiah. His name means God saves or the Lord is salvation. He's known as the Prince of Prophets, often called like the MVP of the Prophetic League. This is Isaiah. His ministry spanned 51 years. He was married and had two sons. Now, listen to the names of his sons. Shir Jehuj, remnant, will re- return. Mehar Shalal Baz, swift to the spoil. Not in your baby name books these days, okay? But he's married, had two sons, 51 years across four kings, and one of the kings that he was serving under and around, King Manasseh, history records, ordered Isaiah's execution, had him sawed in two. And that's how Isaiah died. Here's how Eugene Peterson summarizes the words of Isaiah. put this quote in your notes. "'For Isaiah, words are watercolors and melodies and chisels to make truth and beauty and goodness, or, as the case may be, hammers and swords and scalpels to unmake sin and guilt and rebellion.' Isaiah does not merely convey information, he creates visions, delivers revelation, arouses belief. He is a poet in the most fundamental sense, a maker, making God present and that presence urgent. That's Isaiah. And as I put in your notes, here's how you can structure the book of Isaiah this way. You've got three main sections to the book. Messages of Judgment, chapters 1 to 39. Messages of comfort, 40 to 55, and messages of hope, 56 to 66. And if you're doing a quick math there, you're looking at that and going, over half the book has messages of judgment. Yep. You want to guess why? Because Isaiah is prophesying and leading and trying to keep the character of God and the Word of God before a time with the kings and the nations of the northern kingdom of Israel – O for 19, you remember their run's going to be with godly kings. O for 19. And in the south, he's primarily working with the kings in the south. He's a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. 8 for 20 are going to do it God's way. So if you're Isaiah and you're trying to keep the character of God and the word of God before the kings and the nation, and O for 19 and 8 for 20, you're probably going to have 39 chapters of judgment. <laughs> so, If you want more encouraging parts of Isaiah to hit to, I'm giving you a little breakdown there. You can get into the 40-somethings if you need some words of encouragement, and hope comes in the last 10 or so chapters. An amazing book, 66 chapters. Sometimes they call it the Bible within the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, 66 chapters in Isaiah. And today, we're going to anchor ourselves just in one section in Isaiah 6, and I entitled it, Living with Isaiah Eyes. And I want to ask us to follow four movements in Isaiah's life in the midst of the context that he's in and see if that helps inform some movements in our life today. So Isaiah 6-1, in the year that King Uzziah died. So there's the king in chapter 6. Uzziah, now he's the 10th king of Judah. He started out great and he faded fast. Have we heard that storyline before? He started out doing what the Lord wanted him to do. He had Zechariah in his life. He had good uh, kind of spiritual advisors around him. The nation was prosperous. The military was prosperous. The economy was prosperous. It was going great in Uzziah's reign. You can write 2 Chronicles 26. In the margin of your Bible here beside Isaiah 6, 2 Chronicles 26, you can get the backstory on King Uzziah. So he started out great, and there's a key line in his story that says, the more powerful he came, it says, pride became his downfall. Good thing we don't struggle with that today, but just imagine if there might be some struggles in this space today. That ego and pride and success and fame just washed over his heart, and this is how he exited the story. He went in and he started, he went into the temple of God and started raging against the priests of God, telling them how they had to handle the worship setting. So, king raging at priests in the temple, it's not, you know, that shows you how far off base he had gotten. So, year 52, here's what it says, 2 Chronicles 26, 20, 20, here's how he exited. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. That's what the Lord pronounced on him in the temple that day. He lived in a separate house, leprous and excluded from the temple of the Lord. So remember, remember now, the role of the prophets in the storyline of the Old Testament. Remember, to understand the prophets, you've got to follow the chronology of the kings to see where are you in the development of the nation of Israel. You've got to go to the kings, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. You go into those, and then you find out where the prophet. Here, Isaiah, during the time of King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26. Uzziah, raging against the priests, dies leprous and separated. So now you've got Isaiah standing at a time when the king of the land, who's supposed to represent God, who's supposed to keep God's ways elevated to the nation, is completely out of bounds. So this is where God raises up the prophets. And this is why the prophets have 39 chapters of judgment, because they're calling out. Uzziah's not paying attention to God. The Israelites follow the king's lead. They start drifting from God. The Assyrians, the neighboring nations, They start mounting up their strength, wanting to come and wipe out God's people and Yahweh involved. So you've got Uzziah, you've got the Israelites, you've got the Assyrians. No one's interested in paying attention to God except Isaiah. He's keeping the Word of God and the ways of God and the character of God before the people. Now you understand why no one really wanted to be a prophet. There, no one walked around saying, Lord, call me to be a prophet. This was something that was like dropped on you. This was like, they tried to run from it. We'll get into that next week with Jeremiah. And like, that's why I get nervous when people put, you know, bulletin boards around the city and prophet so-and-so's coming to town. I'm like, oh, that's not how this worked back in the day. Like, no one just labeled themselves prophet and ran around and, you know, ran around the prophet. No, that's... I mean, you ran for it because you're li- how, how, what's Isaiah's life like? He's like a voice crying in the wilderness. He's trying to keep God's ways before a king and a nation and surrounding nations who are very little or no interest in it. And so that's 51 years 50 of his ministry was mostly embodied with that. So I think we can learn some things in the context of our lives today about what did Isaiah do Four movements here we see in chapter Six. So verse one, continuing on, the year that King Uzziah died, what's Isaiah say? I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. In your Bible, circle that and write fiery ones. They said they were filled with fire, like angelic creatures, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So the first movement we see with Isaiah is he looks up. He's seeing God. Do you see that? There's a look up step here to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah looks up and sees the true king on his throne, Yahweh. He sees the one whose train of his robe fills the temple, who's seated on a throne, reigning and ruling, who's surrounded by six-winged seraphs, who are burning with the glory of God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you see Isaiah? Uzziah Dies on his throne, excluded from the temple of the Lord. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah looks up and sees the real king, Isaiah, reigning and ruling. And do you see how significant this is, church? At a time when it had been most tempting for Isaiah to look around, he looked up. And in looking up, it's going to give some context to what he sees around him. If he'd have looked around, it would have been a ministry of discouragement. The kings died leprous and separated. The Israelites are going off on a distant land again. The Assyrians are mounting. If he just looked around, right? Isaiah's not in, or Uzziah's not interested. The Israelites are drifting. The Assyrians aren't interested. But Isaiah says, "I'm going to look up and I'm going to see the true king that is set before me." today. So, he's looking up, he sees God, and his view, his image, this vision of God, it doesn't just change some things in his life, it changes everything. And I can't help think about, you know, maybe God's brought someone in here today or someone joining us online, and you feel a bit like Isaiah feels. The temptation is to be overwhelmed at looking around. You can just be overwhelmed with your visible realities. Your circumstantial realities can seem overwhelming, insurmountable, daunting. And the temptation, you just put all your energy looking around, and God brings you in today through Isaiah 6 and says, how about follow Isaiah's lead? The first step before you look around is look up. And look up and see what? Yahweh. Yahweh Malak, the Lord reigns. He's seated on his throne. The train of his robe fills the temple. He's surrounded with six-winged seraphs that are burning with a holy, like a glory inside of them that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you just, for a moment, just let the eyes of your soul go up to that? You know, that's one of the gifts of worship and lyrics and song and melody. It helps us, right? We come in, and sometimes we're just so weighted down by the visible circumstantial realities of the week or the month or the year. And you just, through song and through melody and through voice, you begin to follow Look up and see God. And maybe today, that's an invitation from the Lord to you. It's not that looking around isn't important. It's just not as important as this step. Before we look around, I think we need to look up. And Isaiah looks up. It doesn't just change some things. Notice what it changes first. Verse 5. Woe to me, he cries, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So when he looks up and he sees God, it moves a second statement. There's a look in. Start seeing yourself said, woe to me. So, here's Isaiah. The word woe there in verse 5, it means a cry of distress. It's a calling out from a place of deep grief. So, for Isaiah, the more clearly he saw God, the more clearly he understood himself. You know, that's a principle rooted in Genesis, because we're made in his image. He's not made in ours which is somewhat what we're struggling with today, right? We're trying to make God in our own image. That's not how this works. God makes us in His image. So the best way to have, like, the first movement to healthy self-knowledge is God, is, is to grow in a rel- Look up. See God. Theology. Theology is the anchor point for anything with anthropology or any of the other ologies. You start with theology. You better you understand who God is, the better you understand who you are. And this is Isaiah. He's like... Woe is me. Woe to me. I'm coming undone, is how the translation. Unclean lips, unclean heart. I'm beginning to see things more clearly. As I look up and see you, I move then to look in, and I've got some stuff that just needs to get sorted out in here. So, hear this. Before Isaiah cries, Woe to Uzziah woe to the Assyrians, woe to the Israelites. Before he starts crying, woe to everyone else, he first starts where? Woe to me. Church, I can't help but think about how different our culture would be if followers of Jesus today spent more time looking up and looking in before they looked around. Who spent more time getting a clear vision for who God is, and taking an ownership for what's not maybe clean and set right in here, before we start crying woe to everything else and everyone else around us that we think isn't clean. Now, there's a role, as Isaiah's going to get to, for declaring things to be unclean, but not the first movement. Do you see this? I think, that, I think the Christian community at large is struggling with it, especially, especially these past couple years. Because we've got bands of Christians ready to say, woe is everything around us. But I think God might say, hey, make sure you look up and look in first. Follow Isaiah's lead. He's going to cry, woe to the Assyrians, but not until he says, woe to me. I've got unclean lips. I've got an unclean heart. I need the Lord to deal with some stuff in here before I start moving and dealing with some stuff out there. And I wonder if that's a word for Jesus' church today and his followers. We're not lacking for the things out there that need some get some things straightened out, but I think we've got to get some things straightened out in here first. And so we move from looking up, seeing God, to looking in, seeing ourselves. And then notice the next movement. There's a looking out movement. We do begin to see others. There is a place to look out, but notice where it comes from. Verse 6, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. What must that have been like? Unbelievable which He had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. A really important sentence. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go, tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their eyes dull and close their eyes. So not the most edifying, encouraging word He's given them. This is repeated six times in the New Testament. Verse 9, Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. Six times in the New Testament, Jesus uses this and applies it to His people, primarily the Jews in the first century Palestine, that they would have this reputation, closed eyes, dull ears, and hardened hearts. For the most part, that summarizes Isaiah's 51 years of prophetic ministry. He was being faithful to preach God's Word, elevate God's character, hold God's ways before the nation, before the kings, before the people, and for the most part, the response was closed eyes, dull ears, and hardened hearts across four kings and five decades. So you see what Isaiah, his looking up, he begins to see God more clearly. He looks in and he begins to see himself more clearly, takes ownership from what's unclean in here, and then it manifests with a perspective as he looks out over the landscape. There is a time to look out, but it's after a look up and a look in. And when he looks out, he begins to see things, I think, a bit more clearly than he perhaps was seeing them before. I like what Ray Ortlund Jr., I put this quote in your notes for you there. It's on the back side of your note sheet. If your heart does not leap at God's grace in Christ, what you need is more grace. Nothing else can save you from your own deadness. Therefore, fear your hardness of heart more than anything else. Beware of rigidity, ingratitude, a demanding spirit. Beware of an unmelted heart that is never satisfied. Beware of a mind that looks for excuses not to believe. Beware of the impulse that always finds a reason to delay response. Hmm. And church, how special was last Sunday's baptism service? For all of us who were able to be here. And if, if you didn't get to be a part of last Sunday, let me encourage you to go back, grab a box of Kleenex, push play on the video, and watch, right? Just watch. Such a special moment for those 13 lives and those families and everyone who gathered around the tank. And there's one image that's really stood out to me as I was scrolling. Jess Strickland did such a great job capturing it all in pictures. We'll push out that link to you this week. But this image for me this week, do you guys remember David? Enos? Church, do you remember that? That right there, okay. When Ray Ortlands quote, if your heart does not leap at God's grace in Christ, that's a heart that's leaping at God's grace in Christ right there. He kept, he came up out of the waters, and I know the music was playing, you maybe couldn't hear him. He just kept saying, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, there's some pretty special faces around this tank, right? That's his mom there on the left, and then it's David Hackett, yes, David, who just lost his father today, and Laura Cohen there in the middle, and Norm Sill. Norm, David, and Laura have been really special friends to David Enos. You know, they've been, like, going and picking him up, bringing him to church, taking him to lunch, just being good friends in his life, and... (laughs) As Laura texted me yesterday, I sent this picture to him yesterday, I said, and Laura said how meaningful it was for them to stand by that tank and to see that face come up out of the waters in that way. I think Laura and David and Norm, you guys represent Isaiah 6, this third movement so well. You're the, here I am, send me, you're... They got, a, they got a picture in their own lives if you talk to David and Laura and, and Norm. They love Christ. They want to serve His purposes. And they, they look up, they look in, and then they looked around, and they said, here's a young man named David Enos who just needs a little help. Here I am, send me. And then they're standing beside a tank a few years later. And they're witnessing a young man come up out of the waters like that. That's... Someone whose heart is leaping at God's grace in Christ. That's someone, D- David Enos is seeing God more clearly than I think. I-, I sat there and thought, I think David is seeing into the kingdom of heaven more clearly than I've ever seen in the kingdom of heaven. I want more of that. Just an unfiltered reality. He just kept saying, He came Wednesday night to our men's gathering. And he-, he gave me a big hug. He says, Pastor, I want to get baptized again. Can we do it again and again and again? He said, I'm full throttle on this. That was his, (laughs) I love it. No one's ever said to me, I'm full throttle with Jesus, but David Enos has. He's just riding the baptism wave because he's seeing God more clearly. He's seeing himself more clearly, and he's seeing his circumstances around him more clearly. He's burdened about his family and his friends who don't yet, haven't tasted of this grace. So you know what he's saying to God? Here I am, send me. That's when you know the Spirit of God has gotten a hold of a heart. Just like he sent Norm and David and Laura into his life. Now, David Enos, you walk, hey, there's gonna, I can't wait till the day on this baptism tank. You know what's gonna happen, church. David Enos is gonna be standing around and someone's in that tank. Because he said, Here I am, send me. This is living with what I'm calling Isaiah eyes. Church. We got to work the muscles of the movement of of looking up and looking in and looking out. And then to follow David's expression, come up out of the waters. The fourth movement is we look to Christ and his sacrifice. Did you see it in the text? Did you see where the shadowing of Christ to come is at? Did you see that? In verse 7, what does it say? See, this has touched your lips, right? An angel takes a coal from the altar. Now that coal has to be plucked with tongs, not because it's hot with fire. Remember, the seraphs are fiery ones. They're already on fire. It's got to be touched with tongs, not because it's hot, because it's holy. It's set apart, it's touching. Now he takes this coal from the altar, this seraph does, touches Isaiah's lips as your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You want a picture of what it means to have your life touched with the holy coal from the altar of God? That image right there. Not just of Dave. all the other lives. When you scroll through those baptism pit and you see the faces coming up out of the waters. Look at Chris and Kelly Simone. Look at Chuck Granger and Katie. Look at, look at these lives. Look at the parents' faces around the tanks and see, this is what it means when they begin to sin atoned for, guilt taken away. Do you see that? That's a pointing forward 700 years later when Jesus will come, and He'll lay down His life, and He'll go to the cross, and He'll shed His blood, and He'll say, This is how your sin once for all will be atoned for. This is how your guilt will be removed. There's a looking to, there's a forward look to Christ and to His all-sufficient sacrifice. The burning ones are the ones that have a vision for Christ and what He accomplished. So, worship team, why don't you come back up? We're going to take some time. We're going to continue to worship today. I'm going to take some time at communion. I want to invite us to the communion table, which this is how our communion table looks during these COVID-era days, you know. In just a moment, we'll give you an opportunity to get back. We have some gluten-free options in the back there. and um, The Scripture is clear that uh, you don't need to be a member of any specific church to participate in communion, but the Scripture is clear that you need to be a follower of Jesus. And so, what the tongs were in Isaiah 6 for Isaiah to receive from the seraph to touch his lips, these are our tongs today. This is how your sin is atoned for and your guilt and your fallenness is taken away. Right here. His shed blood, His broken body. This is why God's people gather to take communion. We remember, we look back, and and we don't forget And so in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to to take some time as the team leads us through a couple of songs, and the way we do it around here is, uh, you know, you can have some space to yourself if you want to come and kneel at the prayer benches. Maybe you need prayer about something. Maybe you've got some physical ailments in your life. We believe that God still heals people today, and we have anointing oil here, and we've got folks who'd be happy to pray with you, anoint you with oil, and ask God to heal you. So you just come to any of the prayer benches if you'd like prayer. Or are you just kind of in the quietness of the blue chairs, you gather by yourself or with your friends and family and and take some time and internalize the words that are being sung and then partake of the elements. And as you do, I want to ask you to come to the table with Isaiah eyes. I want to ask you, will you take a moment as you hold these elements and would you ask the Spirit of God to help you look up? Maybe you've got all kinds of things that are pressing in and and are causing you to want to, to look around, and this visible, circumstantial reality is just so dominating that you just for a moment, just let, let some things settle. Look up and see the Lord. He's seated on His throne today, church. The train of His robe still filling the temple, <laughs> surrounded by six-winged seraphs who are burning <laughs> with a glory that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Look up and see Him. And then would you take a moment and look in? The Scriptures are clear. It's a time to examine when we take the elements, you know, to take some time and say, Lord, is there some stuff in here that's just, in the language of Isaiah 6, unclean? Maybe something needs to be confessed. Some kind of repentance, laying down, washing away, and just say, there's some stuff, unclean lips, unclean heart, unclean actions, unclean attitude. Lord, there's some stuff I just, I'm seeing more clearly now. Would you clean this up? This is your time to do that. So look up, look in, and then look out. Maybe this morning the Spirit's tapping some hearts, hey, it's here I am, send me. It's that kind of day. You look out, you begin to look around and say, God's going to send me into some circumstances, situations that need a ray of light into the darkness, that need a voice of hope. It could be as simple as simply, hey, I'll come pick you up and you ride to church with me. Or it could be sending a text, could be making a meal, could be writing a note, could be simply praying a prayer say, here I am, send me. Look out, look around. Lord, what do you want me to do about? It? So as we look up, look in, look out, we do, throw, do so through this lens of we look to Christ and His sacrifice. This is the lens of Isaiah eyes. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Isaiah's 51 years of faithfulness. That here we stand thousands of years later and we can testify that the fruit of his work, though mostly unseen in his life, we testify today in 2021, it's bearing fruit. For we join His exhortation to look up, lift up our eyes and see today. Give us your perspective on our visible circumstantial realities. And we look in, search us, O God, see if there be any offensive way in us. Help us see more clearly what's unclean and out of bounds and out of step and Take that coal from the altar through the blood and the body of Christ and touch those unclean places and make them whole. Cleanse and renew, we pray. And then commission and send us forth into this world. Here we are, send us. We hold these elements. We remember your great sacrifice. And we do this as an act of worship, thanking You that You gave Your life, that we might find life in You. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.